This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with Bitsbox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. On today's episode, I am so excited to welcome back to the show, Mr. Nick North for a special Ask the Dads edition of the podcast. We haven't had one of these in a while. Last one was with my good friend, Tyler Watson, but now I've got another episode with another great friend, Nick North. You'll remember Nick from episode 80, Learned Behavior, where he discussed his transition from being a mother of four to a father of five, going from motherhood to fatherhood and now being a out and proud trans man and his journey and story about parenting was phenomenal. I'm super excited to hit him up with all the ask the dad questions. It's going to be great. We will be covering a lot of great topics. I think you'll really enjoy it. Up first, uh, we have a new segment debuting on this episode. It is ask the birth guy. That's right. Brian Salmon. You will remember Brian, the birth guy from a couple of episodes ago is going to be back with a regular segment, just a couple minutes long, which will answer some common questions people have about pregnancy, childbirth, breastfeeding, all the different stuff he's qualified to speak on. So that'll be up first, and then we'll be diving right into the episode with Nick. So stick around, more great content after this. Hi guys, it's Brian the Birth Guy for Ask the Birth Guy. The question today was amazing, but first I want to apologize. I have a cold, so I sound kind of funny, even though I always kind of sound funny. (laughs) So the question was, what happens if baby pops off the latch and doesn't stay latched to mom and pushes back? Okay, this is a great question. This happens all the time. I think of three things. The first thing I think of is mom has forceful flow. She's either been reading too many Facebook or internet things saying to pump right away before she's even thinking about going back to work in the first week or first you know two weeks. And she's getting a lot of milk in there thinking the baby needs it. So it's forceful flow. It's pumping out so fast that when the baby goes to suck, especially initially when you're first trying to latch the baby, they're getting waterboarded. It's not very fun for the baby. They're gagging. So... But usually I tell mom to go ahead and take a pump or hand express for about a minute and get that first initial push out and stop pumping or doing whatever you're doing, okay? Then feed the baby, and the baby will generally stay there. And we often do a layback, which means that mom's back at at an angle so that the the gravity is having the milk go up and, and pulling the milk down a little bit so it's not as forceful when it comes out, okay, guys? The next thing is... I think that a baby may not be hungry, 
People try and feed a baby because they think when the baby cries, the baby's hungry. That's not a feeding cue. We want to watch for early feeding cues when the babies flutter their eyes. And when, uh, the next feeding cue would be when they start rooting. They make their hands in a fist. They start sucking them, trying to suck anything there. They stick their tongues out. They're going side to side with their head. This is a This is a very primal thing. The next thing is the baby just might be tired. Maybe the baby had had mom with an epidural and it, you're only in the first couple of days. So the fentanyl is still going in or whatever drugs have affected the baby. Make the baby sleepy. That's when mom should be hand extracting and feeding with the syringe a little bit till we get that baby up to par. Everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. You guys can find me online at birth guy on Instagram and on Facebook at Brian the birth guy. I'd love to hear from you and can't help to help out more. Now back to the Detox Podcast. Nick, Nick, Nick. I'm back with Nick North. That's a Nickelodeon reference for all you millennial fans out there. Yes, Nickelodeon. And I am with Nick North. Nick, what's up? Well, we struggled to get Nickelodeon up in Canada, but um, oh. we did eventually. <laughs> I, so I, I recognize that awesome reference. All right, just cool. so you know. Yes, Nickelodeon, formerly home of all that. Get all that. And, uh, you know, Legends of the Hidden Temple and Spill Your Guts. and Well, it's actually just guts, but, you know, all the all the good stuff. We don't need to go down a 90s wormhole, although we could. I was more... I was more like a Nick Nickelodeon Junior fan. Like I was like, give me the Rugrats, <laughs> give me all that good stuff, you know? Gullah Gullah Island, perhaps? Yeah, a little of that. <laughs> just saying. I'm more of a cartoon kind of guy. Oh, ah, Real Monsters. Mm, exactly. All the good ones. Right. I was trying to remember more, um, but I forgot. Well, of course, there was Doug. Yes. Pork chop. Yes. Pork chop. And why was a child so bald? I don't understand. Uh, that the world may never know. There's a lot. There's a history there of bald children. Uh, Charlie Brown, Doug, Caillou, um, yeah. and more, I'm sure. You can't even get me started on Caillou. <laughs> that kid's not allowed in my house. Same. Same. A child that whines that much is a hard no here. Yes. I was like, if you ever sound like Caillou, get out of it. No, I'm just kidding. Get out. It's over. I'll love you unconditionally unless you're Caillou. Right. Get, hashtag cut Caillou. Cut it out. Caillou's out. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, this is a Every special. Every dad <laughs> everywhere says. Yes, yes, this is true. Uh, So this is a special Ask the Dads edition of the podcast. I have not done one of these since Tyler Watson was on uh, a couple of moons ago. But it is something I always try to do every once in a while to kind of get um, – I get a collection of specific Ask the Dad questions that listeners will send in that they wanted parenting advice on. And I will also try and cover uh, – do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the episodes uh, that have come leading up to the Ask the Dad. So there's a lot of great content I want to get into. Uh, but first of all, Nick, let's just dive into what you've been up to lately since we last listened to you on episode 80, wonderful episode, at the Dad 2.0 Summit 
it. What have you been up to? Ooh, I wasn't expecting this one. I've mostly just been uh, trying to balance traveling to other uh, speaking gigs and conferences um, and like, you know, running my business and keeping my children alive and loved, you know, so they can like <laughs> see my face. Sure. And know I like them and such. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's good Last for children time. to know that their dad loves them, of course. And also that he's making sure they're fed and clothed. Right, right, right. By going to work. Right. Sometimes that happens too. <laughs> my uh, my daughter asked me the other day, she was like, why do you have to go to work every day? And I said, do you enjoy food? She went, yes. I was like, do you enjoy your room? Do you enjoy this house? Well, when I go to work, I get money and that pays for all these things. If I didn't go to work, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> like someone might, some people might choose not to go to work and of do course. other things. You know? Of course. But... <laughs> your choices led you to this place that require you to have that job. Yes, that and is correct. You sort of like it, maybe. That's right. You know? And then she asked if she could come to work with me. And I, of course, I work in a big office building at a desk. And she gets to go up every year on Halloween. My department has like a big trick or treating thing. And so she gets to get dressed up with her brother and get to come up and uh, get candy from all my coworkers. So she thinks that I go to work every day and get candy from my coworkers. Yeah, that's it. Like, well, could I not come there to, today and right. get some more candy? If, if every time she goes there, it's like everyone's in costumes right. playing make-believe. Right. It seems like you have the best job ever. Right. And so I'm not going to break that illusion. I just let her know, no, it's just once a year, just on Halloween. She's like, oh, I wish it was Halloween. And I was like, oh, man, I don't. I'm, I get no work done on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, there's a lot of stuff I want to dive into, and I'm thinking about just diving into first, let's start actually with one of those parenting questions that I've received recently. So Nick, I would like to ask you, how do you personally push for your child to have independence while also trying to shelter them? Uh, an example is using a public bathroom uh, or not more than four feet away from you in a store. I know you've got um, some older children, some younger children. So how do you balance that? Or how did you, or how have you, or how do you continue to balance that push for independence while also sheltering them and and trying to make both things work? So this is interesting. So uh, because my family is a blended family, um, it meant that I parented my, ch you know, four of our children one way for about seven years and my wife uh, parented her one child uh, that one a specific way for eight years and or nine years and we then had to blend those ways together and both of us really really value fiercely independent humans um, and fiercely independent women and fiercely independent men and all of it like we just value fiercely independent folks and um the way we get to fiercely independent humans is different. My way is here, let me push you out of the nest while the nest is only a foot off the ground and things aren't so scary. Let's let you have more of that independence when you're younger, when the stakes are a little less high. And her way is I'll keep you close and safe and like mama bird and nested. And then when you're 18, you can be independent. Um, and it took a lot of like, negotiating a lot of that and a lot of us figuring out like, okay, so when is it important to be independent and when is it not? And, and when is it important to have like that safe nest to come home in and like the mama bird around you? 
um, like the wing around you, keeping you safe and warm and, and cocooned, like when, when are those places? And uh, we've actually kind of discovered that with each kid, it was sort of different that sure. we've got five kids and you like to think that you could just parent with a blank, like this is our parenting rules, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we have five very independent, like very different personalities, very different sensitivities, very different, um, like just people. And so we can't do it all the exact same. And sometimes, um, it's paying attention to like who your kid is. So if your kid is really, really fearful, then you have to be the kind of parent that has that like loving place for them to come home to. Uh, well, I think you always have to be that loving place to come right. home to, but I think that like you have to make steps that are a little bit gentler. You have to, um, to be a little, little bit gentler. Like we have our oldest is, is definitely, she's shyer. She is, um, she's fearless when it comes to like her body and space. So she'll climb a 30 foot tree and be at the top of it with zero hesitation or fear, but she doesn't like to go ask, uh, someone at, the, at like a counter for a napkin. So it's just sort of that thing where like, it's, it's showing them how, look how you're independent over here in this one way. That's just that. That's a way that like that's a strength of yours. And look, this other way over here, you're not as independent. And that's an area that you get to work on, but you get to work on it with baby steps. And you get to know that like you're really, really capable because you're look, you're capable over here. And it's sort of like celebrating the places where they are strong and fierce and they're having all these wins. And then like letting that transfer over to the places where maybe they are a little more shy, sure, a little quieter. So for us, it's like, you know, first you go to the bathroom with them and then you start practicing them use going into the stall on their own. And then you start standing just outside the bathroom and then you like, you know what I mean? Like in yeah. public places they're like, that's sort of how we do things. And for some of our kids, you know, it's like our youngest girl, uh, she would go to the bathroom on her own with zero hesitation anywhere, anytime, any place. She'd be like, that's fine. I don't need you. Uh, and our <laughs> oldest at 12 still would love it if someone would come into a public bathroom with her because it's a little scary and loud and like, but she can do so many other things very, very independently Right. that I'm not concerned, you know? Yeah. It makes sense. It's true though, because, you know, as you said, every, every child is different. And then also you, you find what are their strengths and you lean into them and you use those as an examples to kind of boost them up and empower them while also focusing yeah. on ways that you can help them be more independent. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. That's, oh, that's so great. And it's, it's, I oh, think oh, that it's tough. Yeah. I was just gonna say that I think that so many times people think that like, oh, I'll just you're you're scared, so I'll push you into being more independent. But right. at what like, there's no one that's like, I'm very scared, so I'll go do things on my own. <laughs> like that's not a natural human <laughs> response, right? Right, right. So I think that the more secure your kids are, the more safe that they are, the more that they know that like if they fall, what like you know, fall in air quotes, right that like wherever that, that failure happens to be, whatever that fall is, that like they're safe and loved and not judged and like they can fall into love and comfort rather than into like, I'll be in trouble for failing. Right. Um, right. I think that that makes a huge difference. Yep. I, I mean, I believe it was Alfred Pennyworth in Batman Begins that said, Master Bruce, why do we learn to fall so we can learn to get back up again? Right. <laughs> 
uh, a timeless quote from Sir Michael Caine. I don't know if he really is a knight, but I feel he should be if he's not already. <laughs> Why not? Right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, anyways, back to Sir Nick North. Sir Nick North. No. There it is. <laughs> All right. Um, one of one of the things I want to we like to dive into in the Ask the Dads is we like to kind of cover uh, beyond parenting questions. Uh, I really like to dive into uh, some more. Uh, how do I put it? Uh, really diving into more of an expansive view of some of the recent episodes. So for listeners who are following, I just did an episode a couple a couple of episodes ago, a new kind of Christian featuring Brian McLaren, and there was a lot of uh, points that Brian brought up that I really wanted to, to dive into. Uh, one of the ones that I really wanted to start out with was uh, Brian and I both kind of discussed in that episode liking obviously liking your kids, but being there for them, specifically making sure to remember to give your kids a parent. You know, it's like, it's so easy to to be hyper-focused on making sure that they're fed, they're clothed, they're bathed, they're, you know, got enough sleep. You're ticking all the physical needs that you're not remembering to be there for them emotion, emotionally, mentally. You're not, you're not carving out time and space to be there for them. And, and also people kind of, uh, I see, I, you see one way. And then another way that I see it is I see a lot of parents who kind of overcorrect and they, they, uh, it's beyond helicopter parenting. I called it like kind of messing with a cheese ball. Cause I was referencing a speechless episode uh, recently where, where people took a little bite out of the cheese ball and realized it was a little off balance. So they were like, well, let me take a little bit over here and then that'll even it out. And that made it uneven. So I got to take a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's like you tweak and tweak and tweak and then there's nothing left. And, and I see a lot of parents yeah. do that with their kids. So it's like on the one hand you have parents that will take care of the, the physical needs, but not be there emotionally and not, not, give their kids a parent in the emotional and mental sense. And then you have parents that are overcorrecting and are giving arguably too much of a parent. And so it's like, you're trying, well, they're just trying to make sure that their kids are perfect. They're trying yes. to make sure that their kids are like, have every opportunity. And it's just because it, it's out of like intense love. It's out of this, right. like, I just want you to have everything. I want you to be perfect for everyone. And so that way you can have all the opportunity that I didn't have right. or should have had or whatever, you know? Exactly. So it's like, how do you find, uh, how do you, how would you approach someone or let's really dive down a little bit more on how do you avoid tweaking your kids or even like your spouse to avoid having them in ending up as a depleted cheese ball air quotes. Yeah. Once again, I think that having five children really helps me this <laughs> one because I can't possibly make them all right. Be, perfect right like it's just physically impossible it's literally like uh even just making dinner for five children just think about Ooh. just think about your two children and the things that yes. they will and won't eat and yes. then make a venn diagram of that oh. right now add three more kids to that situation i don't want to like, you can't make me the, <laughs> yeah you can't no the thing that's in the venn diagram is like uh canned chicken noodle soup Sure. All of them will eat that for some reason that I don't understand. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's weird. Okay, so yep. they'll eat that. Uh, but like they all have to have a different type of cracker in them. They can't just be like, you know, like it's just the things <laughs> I can't even. So because of that, I feel like I don't really have the ability to like wood chipper them away or cheese ball them away right. or whatever. <laughs> right, um, right, right. I think that the truth is, is that if my, like my, my 
flaw would be that like I don't have enough to give to all of them because mm-hmm. I want them all to have this like one-on-one relationship with me and sometimes they do they have that one-on-one relationship with me like they all do but like sometimes I'm able to meet them all like meet them one-on-one and then the other four are like you know fending for themselves like Lord of the Flies <laughs> but it's you know they have this extra thing in this these this relationship with each other at the same time um but it, I think that for like all you you know, typical people who don't have five children. <laughs> I think that if you just focus on, I like to, uh, one of the things that I used to say all the time about my third kid, uh, the third child I birthed, Ms. Wild, is that all the things that make her very difficult to parent now will make her so fiercely wonderful and independent and like perfectly suited for the world if I don't grind those edges off of her, if I don't take all of those sharp, wonderful bits and grind them down to a smooth surface of dullness, she will be so perfect in the world if I can just survive parenting her now. Yes. Um, And I have another kid who my fear is like she is the easiest to parent, but I worry that like how easy she is to parent now is because she's so agreeable. Right. She's right. an obliger just like me. She's a bit of a people pleaser just like me. She really loves to take care of people. And I know that that makes it really easy to parent her now, but I worry about her in her teenage years. You right. know, when, she, when her, uh, her desire to please others is higher than her desire to please herself, you know? Right. Um, yes. So I think that like if we can just remember that our, our children are individuals and that like just like grown-ups are individuals and they get to have wants and likes and dislikes and like so are kids. They're just tiny humans. Right. Um, you know, there's a parenting person, Susan something, I don't know what her name is, I'll look it up or something. But uh she says like you have to be the captain of a ship. Like like you're you're not your kid's dictator, you're the captain of the ship, you know? You're the person who is who's like guiding the crew, who's in, who's in charge of where we're going, but you're not micromanaging how we're the like things that are happening, that we're getting there. There's, there's firm boundaries and limitations and what's good and what's not acceptable and like what's expected. But within that, you're just guiding this, this crew of people. And I kind of like that analogy. I do. It's so true because if you're, if you're captaining a ship, I am the captain now. This is a little Captain Phillips reference mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, if you're captaining a ship, you can't possibly micromanage everything. There's too much going on. And there and and the water, right? So like there's everybody on the ship and there's the water. So like you can't be micromanaging the guy in the eagle's nest or crow's nest or whatever they call it, right? And also yeah. the cabin boy and also the guy pulling like the the sail. You know, just you can't do it because you're also dealing with making sure you're not crashing into a rock somewhere or a kraken perhaps but yeah because life is a jerk and the jerk is called water in this analogy exactly you know (laughs) exactly but i will agree with you in that i think it's easy and everybody is different so i like to put this disclaimer on that everybody is different everybody parents differently everybody's situation is different but i will say i noticed that when i had my second when when we had our second kid and my attention was now divided between two children, my capacity to micromanage lessened, you know? Yeah. Because it had to. Mm -hmm. I can't micromanage my son and my daughter at the same time. It's impossible, and it's physically exhausting. 
So I had to well, go. I mean, yeah. many people do try their very best yeah. to almost kill themselves and their relationship with their kids in yes, the process. Exactly. But, but I, yeah, I had to find what, what, where am I willing to be flexible and where am I drawing hard lines? What is a battle worth fighting? And what is, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Let's give some flexibility here. And I think it's, it's ever evolving. And I think all parenting, all good parenting is ever evolving. But I think that having two kids really taught me the ability to go, you know, not everything matters. And I don't need to spend nights worrying about why one won't sleep versus another. Like, it's okay. They'll yeah, get to bed when um, they get to the bed. Statistically, actually, they say that the hardest number of kids to parent is three, that like the highest level of stress in parents is parents of children of three, because at three kids, you still think that you should be able to like do the math flashcards and do piano lessons and a sport. Sure, sure. And uh, you should have this like high level of involvement with your kids. But at four, you instantly are like, nope, we have a football team. This is it. Like, this is a, not, we're not doing it. I right. mean, it's not actually a football team, but you know, right. like it's, it's, it's a hockey team. I, I was going to say it's closer uh, to a, a, a team on the penalty kill. Yeah. You've actually got yeah, a start, exactly. a starting so, hockey team. Yeah. No, <laughs> I do. Um, but like, it's, you just have to throw it. Like, it's like, well, I have to find a new way of living. And most people, look at someone with four kids and go, wow, how do you do it? You Three kids is way more common. You don't get the same amount of respect. And yeah. so at five kids, I as a, as a man who is the primary parent for five children, I could show up with them wearing all different shoes and like socks for mitts. And I would get all the high fives in the world because I'm a dad who's managing five kids on his own right? and seems to like them still. You're a unicorn. <laughs> Except... <laughs> Except for there's actually so many of us. Right. Right. It's... But, oh. happening, I guess. but you're right in that the you have to lower your capacity for... How, how do I put it? Uh, it was put so eloquently the other day. Your capacity for... Um, uh, no, I guess it wasn't that. It was that you have to lower your hills to die on, right? So it was like yeah. you because you have four kids and then five kids, you have to go, I I am physically incapable of having everything be a battle, right? I can't I yeah. can't I can't do it. I just can't do it. So I, I learn what is a battle worth fighting and what what is just everyday life that I'm adjusting yeah. to. Yep. I also think that my my kids have because there's so many of them they it's expected that they sort of chip in the way that it used to be in the olden days you sure. know where yeah. like kids were, were responsible for being keeping the house clean and doing chores and like I don't know like being productive members of the family at a younger age and you know our kids they like our four year old can put his plate in the dishwasher because. At, you know, if I have one or two kids, it's not a big deal for me to clean up dinner. It, at five kids, if I were putting everyone's dishes in the dishwasher, that is a heck of a lot of work. And so, like, everyone has to come together so we can all, you know, go do something fun faster. So we can read more stories. So we can right. play a game after dinner, whatever it is. Right. Like, the more we – it just is so, sort of more of like a family effort. And it's – so there's lots of upsides in, you know – and having so many children and there's yeah. 
you know, sure shadow sides too, I guess. Sure. But that actually leads me into a great, that's a great segue into a second ask the dad questions we received, which is what is the best way to get your kids started with chores? And I will go first in that, uh, my kids are great. They go to the sweatshop every day. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. No, 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 no. Uh, before I get an angry email, no, I'm totally kidding. Uh, I, what I've started doing, and I, I have to give my wife all the credit in the world for this. She, because I'm such a, a self-sacrificer, uh, is my, one of my biggest flaws in that I go, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. And my wife has been very vocal about like, no, everybody should be chipping in. And so she's, she's gotten the kids involved in the cleaning as like, this is, this is what we do. We made a mess. We're leaving the room. Let's pick up the room so we can move on to the next room or leave to go do something fun or whatever. And, you know, uh, my daughter's four, my son's one and a half. And, you know, my daughter actually does a lot and she really enjoys it. And, and it, if you can make it a communal experience, I think that's how you get them started. And then you get them started young. And I had a coworker who has older children who said he wished he had gotten his kids started when they were younger because now that they're in junior high and, you know, sixth grade, they don't want to help because they were told you're not supposed to, someone else is supposed to do it for you. And now they, they won't do it no matter how many times he asks you're them. supposed to just be a kid. Yes. Go play, go be a kid. It's that like, uh, it's like the, it's like this generational swing where like, right. There was the generation that didn't get to play. They, they got the hard ass, you know, parents who just got back from war, right? And, yeah, and like, go be a man or something, yeah. you know. And they didn't get to play, and so now there's this like backswing of like, no, you should just be a kid, but like, you should also be a contributing member of the family, right? So how how did you let's let's elaborate on that. So how did you get your kids started on chores? Was it a similar way or was it something different? How did you do that? So partially I'm a little bit of a clean freak. Uh <laughs> partially my wife runs a program that you know helps people put systems into their lives so they can sweep out the clutter and make room for beauty and less clutter more beauty and all that good are, jazz. Are you married to Marie life. Kondo by any chance? No. <laughs> uh, a little bit. She also is. Uh, she lived in Japan for many years. Aha! Well, there we go. <laughs> I, she actually calls it like Marie Kondo for the rest of us. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. I like it. I like it's it. Called the queen, it's called the Queen Sweep. Anyway, it's not a shameless plug. The point is, <laughs> is that for a living, part of what she does is like, here, let's show you that like our house gets really messy, and look, in five minutes we can sweep it up in order to like, because there's systems and order to everything, and if you just sort of do that, then you don't ever have to get so, so behind. So you want to die. Um, and that like the, the combination of us together mean that like it matters that our house is clean to us. And so our kids sort of have just naturally been like, okay, we're doing a five minute swoop. And like our five-year-old will be like, Oh dad, I think I need to swoop my room before bed because she's like, it's, you know, it's not, it's, she's used to things being, not chaotic sure like to clear spaces and so she, even she is like oh i don't like that um so that one way is just that like it's just always been a part of our culture as a family and our values as a family so when like when we're like oh the, it's the living room's out of control on a saturday morning because like we're regular humans too we totally will like sacrifice the cleanliness and chaos of our house on a Saturday in order to spend an extra 45 minutes in bed and let the children run wild. 
So like, we'll come downstairs and be like, good Lord, <laughs> this was so worth it, but okay. And we'll do the like, all right, it's, we'll, we'll put a, a song on and do a family swoop of the living room and make it fun. So that's one way. The other way is that we don't buy our children anything. So we don't buy them toys. We don't buy them candy. We don't buy them stuff, but we let them earn money for anything. Okay. So there's these little magnet jars that stick on the fridge and they have a chore written on them. And if there's money in that jar, this little magnet thing, then that chores up for grabs. So it lets them choose. Am I a person that works hard and earns more money? Am I a person that earns money when I want to? Am I a person that likes to always be a little bit ahead and have savings? Or am I a person that's like, crap, I really want that thing. I'm going to go home and do a ton of chores to get it. And so they're literally learning to like manage their work, their time, their money all in like quarter and loony because we're Canadian. Right. So quarter <laughs> dollar dollar bill uh, increments. So like if you clean a bathroom from top to bottom, that's a dollar. If you, uh, you know, vacuum the ki- vacuum or sweep the kitchen, that's like 25 cents. Um, if you pick up the dog poop, that's like a real earner. There's like a dollar goes in there a day sort of thing. Uh, and so they also get to choose like, you know, Epic, our, our oldest son is like, I, oh, I'm going to start a dog poop business because crap is my business. People will pay for that. And I don't mind. And then I'll be rich for Fortnite, yo. <laughs> and like that's just like his whole summer plan is to pick up dog poop so he can be loaded. Uh, but like I didn't have to put that in them. It's right. just like when we go to the store and they're like, can I have this thing? I'm like, I don't know. Do you have any money for it? And and even like, you know, the four and five-year-old, they can't – they only earn quarters, which they call corners. And <laughs> I love it. When something is a certain amount of things, we're like, okay, that's ten corners. And like it might – the thing might cost $10 and it's whatever, but right, it's, right, right. Just, it's teaching the concepts at yeah. four and five rather than math. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really like that. And I think one of the things I really enjoy is the allowing children to choose their chore. Like, that's a big one for me. I think, I think so many of us grow up being told, you have to do this now. You have to do this now. And you you might get an allowance. You might not. You might get paid to do it. You might not. I mean, it depends. But I think so many of us start to resent whatever it is because we're told that is the one and only thing you must do and you must do it right now because I said so. And yeah. where whereas if you're choosing, you know what? I really wouldn't mind doing this. I feel like I'm contributing to the society and I'm getting paid for it and I'm getting to, I am in control of my workload. It really is setting yourself up to be a very independent worker as well as an independent person. I like it. Well done. I think you've solved it. Thank you. Yeah, I think honestly, it works really well for us. I'm writing some tips down. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, We also, they get an allowance just for living. Sure. Well, it's $2 a week. And it is, they have to, the way that they get it, and it's non-negotiable, they get it, and it's not like they can't do the thing. We would start taking all their privileges away if it wasn't involved. Sure. But they have to make their, their bed every day because we believe it's like that uh, just a good habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to, they all have a chore. So, you know, the older three do, one does recycling, one does compost, one does the garbage. Um, and then... They all every by Sunday at four o'clock, their room has to be clean. So I don't nitpick their room all week long. There's none of this like fighting about 
is it is there stuff on the floor is it whatever it's just once a week the room has to be to a baseline of clean okay and then it can all sort of go back to, to you know crap again if that's how they live sure but it gives them that ability to get back to what is a like the skill that we would like them to have which is like do you know what a baseline feels good good at? Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes, you know, as kids get older, we do this thing where we let them trash their rooms and then like they can't possibly learn how to put that back together themselves. Yeah. And so if you just don't ever let it get to that point, if it's like once a week you have to get back to this baseline. And in the beginning we would have to help them get back to that baseline. Sure. Because they had like it's this idea that like, oh, people should just know how to do this. Yeah. Like why? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Like as adults, if you were just like, learn this new skill, no one's taught it to you. You'd be like, what the hell? But like literally we're doing that to kids all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're just small humans, guys. They're not dumb. They're not, they have emotional capacities. They have feelings. They're all their feelings are valid too. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, If you just, if we like just spend time actually teaching them the skills, then we don't have to argue with them about it anymore. That's true. Man, you are just killing this whole parenting thing. I love it. I am taking... I also yell like a jerk sometimes. I mean, you know, some things can't be helped. It is what it is. We're right. all we're all humans. We're all bigger humans. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I'm not it... that evolved. I'm still a jerk. Right? Hey, you know, if you weren't a jerk, I uh, would feel super uh, insecure and hang up right now. No. <laughs> Perfect. You shouldn't trust anyone that says they don't. They don't yell at their kids. All right. I'm just saying. <laughs> but it's good. I like it. No, it's very good. And and one of the la- the last ask the dads, and I'll just transition into this before we dive a little bit more into a couple talking points that I had from the Brian McLaren episode. But the last ask the dads I got, I got this. I was actually at. Uh, someone's birthday party not too long ago. And, and so there were dads and there were moms and everybody was kind of talking in general. And this came up as like a, a common question that the moms and the dads were all talking about. And because they all know I run a parenting podcast, they were like, you should talk about this. You should have a whole episode about it. You should address this. You should solve this for everybody. And I was like, I'll ask Nick and we'll do it in ask the dad's episode. Stop. I'm just trying to get an hors d'oeuvre. Leave me alone. <laughs> no. Are there little tiny sliders somewhere? Right. <laughs> uh, where is it? Um, no. Um, mm. So, <laughs> uh, but no. So the question that came up, and I know I sent it to you earlier, but how are you supposed to, you, the collective you, and you individually as a dad, because this is actually something that I have struggled with as well. So it was good to, to talk about. How are you supposed to react as a dad when you are the sole parent at the park? And this is, I can actually speak from experience on this one. I specifically am always concerned and hyper aware with how I come off and how I interact with other parents and kids. I see my wife, uh, and I don't know internally how, how she's dealing with this, but externally, it seems that she comes off very flawless. And I see this with other other moms as well, come off very flawless with regards to talking, interacting with other children, interacting with other parents, just very flow, you know, ebb and flow with like, yes, do this. Let's not do this. Let's mind our own business. Let's co-mingle, you know, or whatever it is. Right. But me as a dad, I am like, I can't come off in any suggestible, questionable way at all. Because I don't have a benefit of the doubt. And I feel like I don't know if that's just me because of being a man or being a dad or whatever. So how how are you how is one supposed to react when you're the sole parent at a park? Yeah, this is a really uh 
like this is a big one to unpack for right because i i i as someone who was the mom at the park right and who is now the dad at the park i know exactly what you're feeling and for all the moms that are saying that's not real what are you talking about it's absolutely real right so as a youngish looking man at a park people are like why are you here why don't why aren't you at your job what right. are you doing yeah. why like there is this feeling of like wait uh why are you here yeah. and i think that that is literally it's going to have to like that that will go away with unpacking the patriarchy it's one of those mm-hmm. things that like uh women are are sort of like um they're like, hey, this is our safe space. Yeah. This is where we're supposed to be. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that. I think that there's a little bit of like um, sort of like inherited, you know, trauma and beliefs and things like that. Because I'm one of those hippie woo-woo people that believe the da- the data that states that trauma can be passed down in our DNA. And there, as we talked about last episode, there is science that backs that up. There is science, right? So. Um, and so I think – that it comes from like generations of women keeping themselves safe, whether that was nannies or whether that was uh, stay at home moms or like, I think that's been passed down and like a man entering into that is not safe. Right. Um, I think that it is also, mm, I think that it's men who are not willing to be uncomfortable in that situation when they don't know what to do because men are used to being the default. So right, right. if everywhere, if we look at the fact that, uh, like Grayson Perry says it in the book, The, the Descent of, Men, of Man, he says that the default in society that society deems to be the top of the pyramid is the straight white man. Right. And so that is the way that like uh, men's clothing has pockets and is made comfortable and the temperature in buildings is made for men wearing suits and neckties and button-up shirts, not for the woman who needs to wear a skirt because that's what's acceptable in the courtroom. Right. Uh, or, um, like, the number of, like, urinals in a men's bathroom versus the number of stalls in a woman's bathroom or yeah. all of these things that sort of set men up to be the default comfort. It's a place where men are not set up to be the default comfort and they're not used to it. And right. that's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. And I I don't like it at all. And but but yet, but yet I still so work. That's basically, how women feel in a boardroom every time that you are at the park and you are feeling uncomfortable. That's how the the one so you know only one third of Americans have a female boss. So the the statistic states that the unconscious bias is that men are two times better at their job than women are. Right. That's not true, but that's the unconscious bias everywhere because right. that's. The, the world that we live in, it's the water we're drinking and the air that we're breathing and all of it, right? Right. And so all of that, every time a man steps or a woman steps into a boardroom, she has to overcome the same feelings that a man has to overcome when he steps into a park. And, so yeah. part of it is just challenging yourself to be fucking uncomfortable. Sure. You got li- to live in that uncomfortableness and it doesn't – it sucks, but I tell you what, it's a teachable moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's how the black kid feels at the white school. It's like all of these things when you're the minority, it feels weird. And it's just that men are accustomed to feeling weird. Right. You know, there was a moment. Yeah, there was a moment. I know that I've talked about on a previous. I feel like I've talked about on an old, old, old episode. But I may not have. Uh, My memory is going the older I get. But 
um, there was a moment where I took both of my kids to the park and, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm the sole parent there, but there's a moment where my, my daughter is sliding down this slide and there's a kid, he's coming right by, he came in like right behind her instead of giving her the turn to like get off the slide. And he's coming down and he's at least like two years older than her. Like he's quite, he's pretty big. My daughter's like two at the time. And he's gonna like both feet, like right into the back of her head. And so I'm right there helping her down. And I just like put my arm and I just like stop him mid slide. And I say, Mm -hmm. wait till she gets off. And then she gets off and I let go and he slides and he moves on. And I was just like, fuck, I just touched someone else's kid. You know? Yeah, but you didn't hit someone else's kid. You just held someone else's kid from hitting yours. But his dad didn't see that. And then the kid went and told the dad this, you know, like who knows what he said, right? Like if, if I'm interpreting the kid probably said this man touched me, right? That's so generic, but can mean so many different things. And I instantly like realized what was probably going to happen. Told my daughter it was time to go and we booked it out of there. And you know, an extreme reaction to be sure, but Mm -hmm. I'm the sole parent at the park. And I know, and there's another dad that's there, and it's like the dad and the mom are both there because I saw him looking for me as I was driving away, and and that was a moment where I was like, I don't know that this guy is going to allow me the space to explain the situation to myself, and that was a super uncomfortable moment, and I was like, I didn't know what else to do. One, I had to protect my child, but two, this mm-hmm. guy didn't see it because where we were, it was like hidden, you know, the way the slide came out, and so it was yeah. like I he's not going to give me the, I wouldn't give myself the benefit of the doubt kind of a thing. Right. And so it was like, it's hard in those situations because I feel like a mom might've been like, yeah, he was about to, to like slide into my daughter. So I just like stopped him and then I let him go as soon as my daughter was gone. And then anybody else would have been like, Oh sure. Okay. That makes sense. Thanks. But I, and it's that constant, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the benefit of the doubt. And it was hard and it was, and it's something that I still wrestle with. I was like, I don't know that leaving was the best decision, but I also know that I couldn't just stand by and watch somebody like, like feet into the back of my daughter's head, you know? So it's, yeah, I actually don't know that it is that much different for moms versus dads in that case. And I'll tell you that because I worked for Chuck E. Cheese for many, many, many years. That's right. That's right. And I have literally seen women hit each other in the face with beverage trays. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize it was a wrestling match at Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) It's a real thing that like people with their kids, especially when they're like, trying to give their kid a good time, they yeah. get out of control. Yeah. And I don't know that like I do I understand what you're saying. I think that is a little bit perception and I sure. feel the same perception as someone who is in that situation. And I do do things differently. I don't stare at kids like, you know, as when as a woman, I could look at a kid and be like, "Oh, that little baby's so cute." As right. a man, that feels like people are like, "Why do you care so much?" Yeah, why are you staring oh, at my baby? And I'm just like, oh, we have five kids. The youngest is four, and I just love babies. I miss having a baby. And then they're like, oh, that's so sweet. I feel like um, specifically women, they might come off with this, like, I have this edge because I have to protect my kid. But the moment you show them you're not creepy, they're like, oh, great, wonderful. And they, like, see your humanity. I do think that it is this other thing. Part of the reason why men are a little bit uncomfortable at the park is uh, because – I've noticed 
after having transitioned that hanging out with men is difficult for me personally as well because men do this really awesome thing where they stand off yonder and look at things side by side. Yes, yes. And then they talk, not looking in each other's faces. Right. They just talk about things while looking at them. Yes. And I don't quite know how to do that. And other women don't know how to do that either at the park. Right. And so there is this little bit of like, Men are thinking like at the park, like, oh, like, we'll I'll be talking to this kid and then you'll just sort of start talking and then we'll talk side by side. And until you make eye contact with that woman and start talking to her, she's not going to do that with you because that's you're like speaking two different languages. And obviously mm. these are sweeping generalizations. Sure. Yes. And lots of different people fall in lots of different places on the gender spectrum. And there's all sorts of non-binary people and different identities. Right. But like, I mean, people that are socialized and uh, are are sort of acting on the more stereotypical female traits. Right. Um, and people that are socialized male and acting on more of the stereotypical male traits. Right. Man. Very th- few people are socialized non-binary these days. Right. <laughs> That's very true. That is, uh, man, there's, there's a lot with that. But it's, you're right in that it's... The approach, uh, I guess the societal preconditioned approach to how we communicate and how we interact is a lot that we've got to kind of unlearn. And we talked about this a little bit last last time you were on. We've got to unlearn a lot of this learned behavior, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's not easy. And it's, I, man, you were talking about staying side by side. And I was thinking of King of the Hill, right? Like standing side by side on the fence, yeah. cracking the beer and just like, yep, yep, yep. Mm hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's what I was raised to do is you just stand side by side and no one told me why it's just that's this is the way it is done and if you come face to face with a guy he's like he's going to think one of two things either he's like uh what's your problem with me bro right like you're being yeah. confrontational or he's like bro don't try and kiss me bro bro get out of my space bro yeah. bro I'm not like that bro and it's like it only yeah. it can only mean like confrontational or romantic. That's it. It can't mean like communi- communicative. And 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 it's like yeah. Well, there's a lot of more reasons to be face to face with someone than to punch them or kiss them, right? Like there's a lot of other right. reasons. But uh, but you've got but you but just I, that's not the default. Yeah. It socially. I do think that we're getting better though. I think yeah. that we're raising kids that are different. I think that this generation of people with like you know people like Mike Reynolds people you people like I know lots of dads who are not afraid of their kids emotions who are not afraid to um you know be face to face and vulnerable and emotional with them and not afraid of other people and showing their vulnerability uh you know I know men who are breath workers and you know yoga guys and stay-at-home dads and like there's all sorts of different types of people we're just sort of talking about the the stereotypes and it's encouraging to know that those stereotypes were starting to get new ones and we're starting to move further away from the old ones. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And speaking about, you know, kind of moving away from a lot of the old stereotypes, moving into the new ones, uh, that kind of brings us back to a good point with what Brian was talking about in the episode, new kind of Christian, where he was talking uh, about the fact that a lot of the reason that he finds, and I echo that sentiment, that that people are finding it easier and easier to be divided and to yell across the spectrums at each other, right? Like, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, is because a lot of these, a lot of people are not willing to break a contact bias, right? So, like, they're not interacting with people who are trans or they're not interacting with uh, 
conservative evangelicals, right? So like you're not, and and that's two like two like specific examples because I'm looking at my notes, right? But yeah, but there's a, you know people of color, people of different religious beliefs, people of different gender identities. Pe- people aren't willing to just have conversations, intentional, meaningful interactions with somebody that is the polar opposite of them in order to break. It's uncomfortable. It is. It's uncomfortable. But you got to, we, we talked about the fact that if you're not willing to break that contact bias, then you're never going to grow and learn as a person. And he gave a story about how uh, I believe it was a, uh, a a leader in Africa who talked about the, in the AIDS epidemic. He he they said how are you how are you helping the gay community? And he said oh we have no gay community. He was like well that's statistically impossible for you not right. to have a gay community. It's just they don't feel comfortable speaking up. And if they don't feel comfortable speaking up, then you're never going to come into contact with someone who is an openly gay individual and therefore you have no reason to break your contact and and your contact bias on that sub on that particular topic. And so uh, how talk me through how you're how you're hmm how you are my my te- my text and twang was getting in there how you're I how, dig it. how you're able to do this if you hear what i'm saying um yeah but uh, how you are able to because i imagine that you come into contact with people regularly because you do a lot of different speaking engagements all over the north america how do you help kind of push the needle on breaking people's contact bias when you're meeting somebody that is in a different perspective or have you, or what is, what has been your personal experience in that matter? Yeah. My wife is always like, but who are these people? Who are these Republicans voting for Trump? I don't know any of them. And I'm like, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem is that you don't know any of them. And if you could get to know them, you know, if you didn't just like, she's from Portland. So like her bubble is so beautiful. It's iridescent. It's so it's the best bubble there ever was. And she's like, I just don't know these people. And I I always say like, but if you got to know them, you would understand them. They're just scared. Yeah. They're no, they're just scared of different things than you're scared of. Yeah. And you know, and she'll like to just like, well, I don't, their things aren't real. And I'm like, okay, but they are to them. So it doesn't, right. You know, fear, it doesn't matter. Fear is never real. Fear is the fear of something that hasn't happened yet. Right. Like that's the definition of fear. Yeah. It's you're, you're like a, it's a thing that hasn't happened yet. It's not ever real until it is. And then you're not afraid anymore. You're actively experiencing something. Um, and so I'm like, I don't know that there's science behind that, but that's how I interpret it. No, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Uh, but I think that for me, I really, I am the kind of person, um, you know, my values are bravery Mm -hmm. and kindness and generosity and humor. And so those are like, those are my top three. I I split kindness and generosity as like the same. It works. It works. Uh, But, and if I can stick to my values and go, okay, how can I be kind and generous to someone? How can I be brave to, you know, to hear them and see them? And can I use my humor and wit to like relate to them, you know? And so that's sort of how I do it. And I had this belief that like, if I want every human to see and value me and respect me, then I have to see, I have to look for and see the value in them. And I, I, there are lots of people that were, are like, Hey, this is, you're not right. You're an abomination. You know, I've had people write me to tell me that I'm probably a pedophile, mm. uh, 
and they hope that my children get beat up and taken away from me. Like these are the real things that, that like Christ loving people tell me on a regular basis about my lifestyle. And I have to go, there's something that is so scary in their world for them. And if I need them to see me, then I have to be able to see them. And there are lots of people that I have to love from a distance. You know, every, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some people that I can love really close up and I can see the value and glory and all the goodness in their humanity really close, you know, like then, and then there's some people that I can like love and see the value of their distance at like arm's length. Like, you know, we, yeah, we might have some sort of relationship. And then there's some people that like, I can love you and care for your humanity. And the safest place for that to be is like behind bars, you know, like I think that people that are in jail still deserve love and compassion and humanity. It's just that that's where the safest place for them to be is. And so I think that like I can find value in every human. I can look for value and something good in every human. And when I can realize the places that were more the same rather than were different, then I can, I can like look past the ways that were different. Right. It doesn't mean that I will stand by while they actively take away my human rights. Right. It doesn't mean that I will not speak up about that. And it doesn't mean that I, I will hold like, won't hold my friends and family accountable to do the same. Right. Because you can have different views all you want until you try and take my rights away. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, so good. So good. There are definitely some other points I want to cover. However, we're getting short on time, so I will narrow it down to this last one that I really want to do before we start wrapping it up and getting into some some uh, other other uh, ending points. I don't. Uh, uh, that came out a lot clunkier. Whatever. Anyways, uh, one thing that really stuck with me that Brian talked about is when his book, A New Kind of Christian, came out, which is fantastic. If you have not read it or are interested in it, even if you are not religious, but you have some affiliation with it, it is very impactful. It means a lot and it it questions everything that you know and really pushes the boundaries of what you believe and why you believe and what you need to believe. And and it's just absolutely phenomenal. But he talked about the harsh criticism that he had received from uh, a specific critic when the book came out and he was allowed the opportunity to respond. And he had this really passive aggressive response written up and he was going to press send and really take this guy to task. And he realized this is not helping anybody. It's very defensive. It's very, it like, this guy's not going to listen to what I have to say. And, and it's just going to alienate me from more people as a result. And he deleted it and he rewrote it. And he talked about the fact that if you don't get defensive and you don't counterattack, every unfair criticism is an opportunity to clarify your point. And that was so impactful to me to hear because I think there are so many times when people hear unfair or harsh criticism and go, well, screw that guy. That's not exactly what I was saying at all. And he's missed the point and forget about him. And he's twisting my words. Right. And he's this and he's that. Yeah. Right. Um, but just the, the, the opportunity to go, okay, let me, let me clarify what I'm trying to say. So if you disagree with me, at least you're going to disagree with the right parts of it and not what you believe to be the right parts of it, you know? And I want you to talk yeah. me through some of the negative or harsh criticisms that you've experienced and how you've personally responded to them. Yeah, I think um, I think that the caveat to this is like 
if your harsh criticism is one like once again as someone who is you know living in a as part of a marginalized group right like if your harsh criticism is about something that like is not a choice of mine Mm -hmm. that like is Mm -hmm. just part of who i am sure then no you don't i it's not your responsibility to hear someone out on their hate speech that's fair uh in saying that I think that I personally, I have a lot of privilege being uh, cis passing, Mm -hmm. which so being um, cis meaning that you are the same as the the gender that you were assigned at birth. Um, And so being someone who has the privilege of being cis passing and white and young and able-bodied and... uh, middle class and all sorts of advantages that I have, I feel like it's, I, because of that, I have a more of a responsibility to put a little more time in educating people past what I think is, you know, should be put on someone. But in saying that, I, I think that a lot of it is like, but why do you think that way? And like, what terrible misinformation has someone given you that makes you feel that way? And that even for people that are like, well, I don't think you should be allowed to use the bathroom. Like literally these are conversations I'm have I have with people and I'm like, but why? What like what terrible thing do you think, you know, people want to do in the bathroom? Like right. have, do, have you ever known someone that's done that? But okay, the people that you know that have molested children in a bathroom, have any of them been trans? No, they've mostly been Catholic. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Right. Let's, they've they've mostly been cis straight men. Great. Let's talk about like when you actually look at like where, okay, tell me a time, tell right. me a time where that's happened. Tell right. me, a, do you have a story that it actually has happened in? Cause I can tell you one of something that hasn't like over here. And if we're afraid of everything, then we have to cut a whole bunch of the population out of everywhere. Right. Absolutely. And so there's things like that, or there's just things like, uh, you know, with a work thing where, you know, I have a client that's like not happy with something and I feel really strongly that like, no, this is really good work. Uh, here's why. Let me show you the 73 reasons and all the thought and all the, the things that went, got put into this. But at the end of the day, I can't change who someone is. And so you have to just be like, okay, well, explain to me the parts of that that you do like or the things that like, how can we move forward from here? What's I'm not a, a lot. Oftentimes I'll say I'm not interested in deciding who's right or who's wrong. I'm interested in moving forward. Mm. And if we can, if we can stop, it doesn't matter if, if I'm right or if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. Like the, the answer is you don't like this and you're the client or you're like, we don't like this. This is not working for either of us. So where do we go from here? Right. It doesn't matter to me. This, I think so many people, you know, in that Brian McLaren episode, he said, about the man who was going to lose his wife by winning every argument. Right. And I, I have zero desire to win any argument. I don't give a crap who wins. And it drives my wife crazy. Cause I'm like, I don't care. Like I, you can't make me fight with you right now. I don't like, I don't want to do that. Right. I, I'm not interested. And so when you're ready to move forward to the like part where it's not about who wins and it's about, you know, this is not me and my wife anymore, but like anyone, right, right, when right. you're ready to move past the part where we figure out who wins, I'm game. Let's do it. But I'm not interested in winning for the winning's sake. Right. Absolutely. Ah, oh, 
So good. That is a perfect point in which to wrap up the main topic. Um, since this is a Ask the Dads, before we get to the dad jokes, we are going to do something that I only reserve for Ask the Dad episodes, which are things to check out. Things to check out was a segment we used to do way, way back when, when our episodes were like two hours long and every other week. But now mm -hmm. that it is every week and typically under an hour, although this one's going to cross that threshold, um, I don't usually have time for it. But uh, I like to bake it into Ask the Dads. So Ask the Dads, uh, things to check out. I like to, to have three specific things. It can be, you know, another podcast, it can be music, it can be a TV show, it can be movie, it can be book, it can be anything or any person or anything at all that you want to check out. I will uh, go ahead and go first on this one. I've got some things I want the listeners and you, Nick, to check out. And uh, then you can give me yours. And then I will put all of these in the show notes as well. And let me just... Um, Add to show notes. Ba, 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 ba. Cool. Okay. So the first couple things I want to do, I want to I want to shout out. Shout out. Things to check out. Same. Same. Tomato potato. Right. Same. Same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I've got these. Uh, I've got these two podcasts that are similar, uh, similar in nature that I want to I want to make sure that our listeners check out. They are both Dallas based podcasts, and so I like to uh, anything that's Dallas based. I like to give a lot of love to. So. They are two, and they're also, oh, this is the other thing that's really intriguing. They're creepy, creepy and true crime related podcast. So if you are, uh, if you like your podcast slightly creepy or slightly true crime related, you're going to enjoy these. Uh, the first one is called Sinisterhood. Uh, it's been going on for a little while. Started out uh, summer, I think, of last year. They cracked the iTunes top 10 after a little bit, and they're doing live shows. The The two hosts, they're comedians, and they do stand-up, and they're really funny. So uh, check it out. If you're looking for a good starting point, I highly recommend their two-part series on the JFK assassination and the conspiracy theories uh, intertwined there. Uh, since it did happen in Dallas, of course, that's something that everybody is always talking about. You know, it always seems to come up about like who did it, what was going on, blah, 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 blah. And they do a good job going through the official report in part one and all of the various conspiracy theories in part two. So that's a good place to start. And they've also covered stuff like the Bermuda Triangle, the Stanford Prison Experience, uh, experiment and a bunch of different stuff. Uh, the other one is called Hellbound. It's a brand new podcast. It is also the creepy variety. Um, and it has just a couple of episodes going, but the, the women that host that are super cool, Lara and Sarah, and uh, you should definitely check them out. So Sinisterhood and Hellbound, if you like your podcast a little bit creepier. Uh, so they are uh, really good content uh, that I've enjoyed. The second thing I want to recommend is a Netflix original documentary series called Fight World. I know that I've been texting Nick about this as I've been watching it, like live texting and, and stuff, because it's been it's been so enjoyable. But as we talk about, like, kind of unlearning this learned behavior, right? And we're talking about trying to pull back toxic masculinity and, and look at what is toxic and what's not toxic. I found it super interesting to look at this docu-series Fight World where Frank Grillo, who's an actor, goes to different countries, Mexico, uh, Thailand, Senegal, Israel, uh, uh, Burma, I think was the other one, and looks at how they approach the fighting sport that is that is uh, 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 native to their country. And he, he what you're seeing is that it's not about they're not glorifying the actual violence so much as it's 
a communal event in which to bring everyone together. And it's very fascinating how different cultures approach their specific fighting and, and the individuals. And it's just, it's really interesting and fascinating and is constantly challenging me with, with what is toxic and what is not. So I highly recommend that. And then the last thing that I'll, I'll talk about is a book called Lost Connections by Mr. Johan Hari. He was recently on Armchair Expert, Experts on Expert, if you want to know more about him. His book, Lost Connections, is talking about the uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions. And spoiler alert, it's not drugs, people. It's not drugs. There's a whole lot more. Drugs make up 1.3% of improved depression. So it is a fascinating read, and it challenges everything that you've previously thought or knew you thought or thought you knew, excuse me, about depression and the real causes behind it. So I check out that book or and or listen to his episode on Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, and uh, I think you'll be in for a real treat. So those are all my things. And now, Nick, what are your things to check out? Yes, yeah, so different from your things, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, the first one is uh, an organization that I love. It's called Woman Photograph. Uh, it was started by a friend of mine, Daniela Zelkman, and um, another friend of hers, which I can't remember her name. But anyway, the idea behind it is that um, our stories are only as diverse as the people telling them. And uh, Danielle and her friend realized that uh, over 80% of the cover stories on all of the national publications are shot by cis straight white men. And that that when she talked to photo editors, they would go, oh, the reason why I didn't have a woman shoot this amazing story on women's rights was because I couldn't find a woman photographer in that area at that mm. time. They just don't exist. And and she said, bullshit, right. here, here's my database of them. Right. Uh, and so then she created a nonprofit and has like gives out grants every year and has lists of like amazing, like badass, uh, super vetted, like experienced photographers who are in war zones, who speak different languages, who are in different places doing different things, who are like have combat training, have all these amazing things. And now they're, they're starting to take back our stories and the narratives of them. And I feel like it's like such an important, um, especially in this time of like, you know, we're, we're all starting to get sort of suspect of the media on both sides. I mm -hmm. think that like having more women involved uh, and making the like playing field equal is really, really important. Yes. Uh, so that's the first one. Another one is um, a good friend of mine. Her book released this uh, week, and I happen to be in it. My wife and Ooh. I. Ooh. What? It's <laughs> true. It's like it, it dropped this week. It's it's a real publisher and everything. It's called Own It All Ooh. by Andrea Isabel Lucas, and she's one of the coolest women that I know. Um, she found herself pregnant uh, at 16 in an abusive relationship, um, stripped her way through college with two young children, and now is the owner of um, Bar and Soul, which is like this amazing um, feminist bar and yoga studio. They have five or six studios in the Boston area now, and she's like a completely self-made woman who has just like come overcome such a, like crazy odds and done such amazing things and I'm so proud of her and I'm in books. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, so 
Take that one. And then my last one is um, I'm super into the Touchpoint podcast or love Touchpoint podcast right now. It is um, started by Jared Matthew Weiss, and it's a New York City town hall discussion on love, sex, and relationships. And it started as like 12 people in a living room talking about BDSM and turned into this crazy thing that over 4,000 people have attended live every month. It's the first Tuesday of the month. They do like a live event and they have, they, they vote up different topics each month. Um, and then they also record it and over 30,000 people a month listen to these really awesome, amazing, diverse stories and people just talking about, um, just talking about sex. And like, it's this thing that everyone is having or wanting to have, uh, but no one's talking about it and there's so much shame and there's so much like yucking other people's yums and there's so much like confusion with what's okay and what's not okay and with all the me too stuff and like everything that I think that everyone is reexamining and wanting to reexamine their relationship with sex and, and love and dating and all of it. And, um, I just think it's really a really amazing thing to sort of like take out of the shadows and bring into the light. I like it. You were also on that podcast, right? Uh, I haven't, so it's been recorded, but it's not released. Oh, okay. When, when or how or whatever, but I'm, I, yeah, I was, we <clears throat> met him and we were like, you're the most interesting person I've ever met. Tell me everything. <laughs> he was like, you're the most interesting person I've ever met. Tell me everything. Wait, let me get a mic. And right, then right. it was like a two hour conversation. Oh, so. that's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. And now I'm obsessed with all of it and I just want to hear it all. That's fantastic. Well, of course, we will put that in the show notes along with everything else. This is fantastic. These have been your things to check out. So yes, definitely different from mine, but also very complimentary, I feel like. I feel like there's a lot There's yeah. a lot there. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Well-rounded. Yes, yes. As we all strive to be. Okay. So now we're coming to uh, the last segment of the show, which is the dad jokes of the week. This is a segment where I throw dad jokes at the unsuspecting guests, attempt to get them to laugh while they, the audience groans, but I can't hear them. I can only hear the guests, so it works out. But I always like to put the guests on the spot first. And Nick, do you have any dad jokes you would like to offer up? I have to tell you that this is not my best skill ever. <laughs> like I just, I don't, I don't, it's not, no. Okay. I'm like more, like I have inappropriate jokes, which is not really good for anyone. And I probably couldn't even think of them on the spot. It's okay. Try it, but. It's okay. I have three, so I will uh, go ahead and throw them at you. But first of all, Nick. What do you call a Canadian T-Rex? Ooh. Uh, I don't know. A dino sorry. Uh, only <laughs> it's sorry. Oh, a oh. A dino sorry. Ah, I hear what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick, uh, what do you call a person who tells dad jokes but is not a father? Yeah, nothing. I was like the Darth Vader Faja boy. I don't know. No, a faux pas. Yeah, a faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so French. Gotcha. Uh, these are very Canadian, by right. themed. Right. Well, the last one is not. Uh, what do you? What do police? Okay. What disappointment? Right. I know. I, I could. I used up my other good dad jokes when I had a um, Wit Honey on the show. We were doing a lot of uh, uh, Canadian shade for that one. Yeah. Um, Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, but uh, last one. What do police do when there's a fly annoying everyone in the station? 
I was going to make an off-color joke there, so I'm just going to hold that in. <laughs> they uh, they call the SWAT team. There, there you go. There, there it is. There it is. Uh, SWAT team. All right. Well, Nick, uh, if uh, our listeners want to follow you and follow what you're up to, remind them again what is the best way for them to do that. Well, my favorite way for them to do that is at Epic Danger on Instagram. Yes. Or I guess Twitter, but I don't use it very much unless you tell me to. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you can also find everything that I do on nicknorth.co. Nicknorth.co. Yes, yes. Boom to the boom. Well, perfect. Well, we need a hashtag for this episode, and there was a lot of good stuff. Uh, I kind of like the the hashtag I got, and I'm going to ask your opinion. Uh, hashtag queen sweep. Oh, oh. I mean, we can queen sweep it. Yeah. I like it. Let's do it. I feel like it was uh, a very... Um, yeah, queen sweep your life. Yes, all right. So, uh, listeners, we will be back with another great episode next week. But until then, Nick, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Yes, hashtag queen sweep. And as always, hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.